Welcome to Women Leading in Cannabis. I'm your host, Kira Reed. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today is Roshan Reardon, CEO and founder of Greenleaf Lab, the nation's first woman-owned cannabis analytical laboratory. Welcome to the show, Roshan. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Greenleaf Lab is one of the nation's top cannabis and hemp CBD testing labs. Established in 2011, Greenleaf Lab is the first woman-owned cannabis and hemp CBD laboratory in the United States. Greenleaf Lab was the first cannabis and hemp CBD laboratory to receive license and accreditation by a state agency, showing their commitment to consumer safety through quality science. Roshan was named one of the 2016 Cannabis Business Executive's 50 Most Important Women in the Cannabis Industry. Roshan's mission to support consumer safety in the cannabis and hemp CBD industry began when a close friend and patient she grew for was battling HIV. Roshan saw the lack of access to clean and tested cannabis. Grassroots grown, she opened her first analytical testing laboratory in Portland, Oregon. Roshan raised awareness of the importance of quality control testing. She then opened a second laboratory in Sacramento, California. Wow, it is really exciting to have you as my guest today, Roshan. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. Oh, thanks. I'm really excited about this. All right, so let's start at the beginning. How did you come to have a career in cannabis, and what led to you being the first woman-owned testing facility in the U.S.? Mm -hmm. So how I came to have a career in cannabis, wow, (laughs) that's a bit of a story. Um, So let me start, first of all, with a little bit of my background of who I am, because I want um, women to know that you can come from backgrounds um, that maybe were tr- tr- turbulent and still be successful. So, um, yeah, so I decided to go back and get my GED and uh, start my path towards uh, receiving an education. Interestingly, my life experiences um, allowed me to witness or experience sexism, racism, human rights atrocities, and discrimination um, because of, of all those travels that I had. And, and I think justice just really became a part of who, who I was. So I ended up working my way to get my education, and I eventually graduated with a Juris Doctorate degree in law and a master's degree with a, a focus on human rights. Um, and after I graduated, I moved to be with my family in Southern Oregon, and that's when I began practicing criminal defense law. So when I was practicing law in Southern Oregon, I realized that the justice system, to me, didn't really necessarily represent justice. I became disillusioned with the criminal justice system, uh, specifically how it treated people growing a medicinal plant, medical marijuana, because I lived in a community that was full of a lot of medical marijuana growers. So I ended up quitting my job as an attorney, and I started growing medical cannabis on our family farm. 
And during that time, I learned about how it's grown and the various products used, as well as the lack of information around those products. It was a really interesting time. Um, one of my patients said became a dear friend of mine had HIV. And I learned that when he consumed medical cannabis, he was putting his health at risk, not knowing what he was getting. And that that affected me. And I think being an attorney, I realized that evidence was needed for a deeper understanding of the product. Instead of just claims that it's safe, let's get some substantive information to ensure it's safe. And so what I realized is that in order for the industry to legitimize and professionalize, there would need to be public health and safety assurances for cannabis consumers. And so I opened a testing lab, <laughs> you know, crazy me with no background in science. <laughs> and uh, that was 10 years ago. And, uh, and I think what really has always resonated with me is, is, you know, my passion for human rights. I mean, that's what inspired me to become a lawyer. And I also believe that cannabis is a human rights issue, you know, specifically the right to save cannabis. Can you talk more about that? Because this was... This was really your mission when you started the laboratory, correct? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a really interesting um, time. Um, at that time, you know, Oregon really didn't have rule. Right, we were so. This is pre-adult use. This was in the medical days. And uh, what happened is, is Oregon started developing rules and regulations around the industry for medical use. And then that transferred into adult use. And what I saw was this potential issue that could really undermine the cannabis community um, and, and its ongoing success. And I felt if our community wasn't represented during the development stage of these rules and regulations, I actually was really concerned that those of us in the cannabis community could be regulated out of existence. So what I did, because I'm a fighter, <laughs> and in order to protect my community um, and this growing industry, I really committed myself to developing public health and safety rules um, to avoid overly cumbersome regulation by the government. At that time, the government was looking at different um, different industries to model the cannabis industry after, and some of those were really stringent, like extremely stringent requirements. And while, you know, consumer safety, of course, was extremely important for me, which meant a long-term thriving industry, I also knew that we needed to make sure that it was something that, that the, in, the industry or the community could develop into and still be successful. Um, it was really interesting because I've always seen this industry and the growth and consumer safety as a really long-term business plan. And I knew it was the key to legitimizing and professionalizing the industry. I mean, this is 10 years ago. Cannabis had a bad reputation. People had derogatory things to say about cannabis users on television shows. It was portrayed negatively. And so, you know, I was thinking, how do we turn this around and how do we let the in, uh, people who are not consumers know that this is legitimate and this is an important product? And I thought, what better way than protecting consumer safety? Everyone can buy into that. Um, but to be honest, this was actually a really challenging time for me and my business. It, I, re I thought my business might fail, to be honest. There's been a couple times, and that was a really um, a serious one for me. And what I found is that there were many in the industry who believed testing was a burden. 
and that it would inhibit their success. So I ended up actually receiving like unexpected backlash from my community who couldn't see the value of ensuring consumer safety as part of a long-term business plan. And um, yeah, so that was real interesting times. <laughs> Regardless of that, I knew that what I was promoting was in the best interest for our community. And who better to represent that interest than someone who's inside of the community instead of outside of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So so at that time, it was pretty exciting. Oregon became a leader in public health and safety testing. When Washington, uh, when or actually Colorado legalized first, and then when Washington legalized, there was no proponent for consumer health and safety testing. And so there weren't very good consumer safety uh, rules written in as the industry grew and, and turned into adult use. And so Oregon really at that time had really, had I thought did a really great job at ensuring public health and safety and also the success of the industry. Um, and uh, the really great part is other states have used Oregon as a guideline in their testing rules and have actually expanded on them and in many states made them even more stringent. So this is really a story about commitment to your mission and your beliefs, even though you received a lot of backlash, you knew that it was the right thing to do. And now it has impacted how other states view their testing. That's the power of a mission. Yes. Amazing. Okay. So what have you learned at, about being a woman in the industry? When I hear your story, I hear a woman who's a fighter who looks around her and sees problems and wants to fix them. But when you move into this industry, you're working for the benefit of others and you don't really expect being a woman to kind of fly in your face. But I have you had an experience in cannabis where you suddenly had to realize, wow, I'm actually someone that I also need to fight for in this industry? Yes, yes. <laughs> Interestingly, um, as the industry has developed and corporatized, I'm all of a sudden looking at my, myself as a small women-owned minority-owned business, and I'm concerned about you know, being able to continue to succeed as the industry grows. And I think also being able to continue to succeed as a women-owned business, which means maybe I do business a little bit differently than, than men do it, right? I really truly believe that we can bring everyone up around us and we can all succeed together. I mean, there's enough out there for all of us. This is not a zero-sum game. And I believe our normal corporate structure states that this, you know, the way to do business is zero-sum game. So what are some of the things you've encountered that were unexpected that you know are because you're a woman and how are you dealing with it? Well, okay. I, you know, one, I was unsure if I was fit for the job ahead of me. I think being a woman, I, I, and at least in my background, how I was raised, especially coming from my, my father is Persian. I was not taught that I could be successful and empowered. Um, and I think that messaging that I had received throughout my life was messaging that maybe I wasn't good enough or that men could do things better. And so I think starting off, I'm already going against socialization that I may not be able to successfully complete the job and the task ahead of me. Um, you know, overcome. yeah. Oh yeah. And I think, I think a lot of us women are faced with that. Um, 
you know, when I speak with different counterparts and colleagues and friends, I think it's an underlying message that we're, we're sent. And whether it's in social media or books or education or how we're treated. And so we already are having to step up and become stronger to overcome that. And that's before even taking on, like starting a new business mm -hmm. and all the challenges with that. Well, you're in a very male dominated part of the industry being in testing and analytics and science. What challenges are inherent there for not just yourself, but other women who want to work in these environments? I mean, it's interesting because I have uh, hired women chemists <laughs> and I have an amazing uh, team of women employees who are just phenomenal at what they do. So um, I think challenges in a sense are one, making sure, I mean, women in STEM, right? We know that there's not a lot of women who are in science and giving them a, an opportunity to succeed. And typically what I've found is a lot of women who are in science um, and just women in general, when they get to a certain level, they, you know, you have to be better than your counterparts. And so it's just seeing, seeing the women and really for, for their ability to overcome any kind of blockages that have come in their way and then support them in their growth. Twice as much work to get where you're going. Yes, always. Um, I thought it'd be interesting too to, to continue answering the question you asked about challenges. Another topic was um, capital. You know, um, I think having access to capital is really difficult for women because I mean, white men are in power and they have money and they're used to being, you know, working with other white men. And so when I originally started my business, I received a loan from my mom and my auntie and it was super small, but it's, you know, but, it, but they, they believed in me, which was amazing. And then when I eventually um, ended up doing my capital raise, one of the things that I think that really helped me with that, to be honest is I had two white men on either side of me in that room. And so there were times in the raise where potential investors would not look at me, but they would talk to my CFO or my CSO and communicate with them. And I had to realize that was just part of playing the game. It was okay. <laughs> I didn't need to get upset about it. Um, but I, I just had to realize that this is, is part of, of, of the process, sadly. <laughs> That is, it's one of those things that I hear all the time, and yet it still surprises me every time I hear it from incredibly successful women. I had to have a man at my side. I wasn't able to do it just by myself. And it's just, it's heartbreaking to hear so many women realize that they've got to go that path in order to get there. But congratulations on doing so. Congratulations also on creating an, a company where you're actually able to pay and promote and hire women in a field that is so hard for them to get employed because it's so male dominated. So thank you for contributing that to our industry well, and giving a place to work. Uh, <clears throat> Greenleaf Laboratory received certification by the Women's Business Enterprise National Council. Tell us about the council. Tell us how you were chosen. They chose a cannabis company and ultimately what does something like this mean for your business? 
So WBNC is it's really interesting. It's um it's a national organization that is really well known and has an amazing reputation on ensuring that women-owned businesses are truly women-owned or women-run. And so um I had learned actually after I had received the certification that they recently opened themselves up to the cannabis and hemp industry and they weren't really open to that a few years ago. And so, um, so anyway, so I, I submitted an application. I told them who I was and, and what my business was. And then they asked um, for a series of documentation. And I have to say the documentation that they requested was the most stringent documentation that I've experienced in the whole time I've had my business. So more than the licensing, more than accreditation. I mean, it was, well, accreditation is pretty thorough, but it was phenomenal. Like they went so deep in analyzing and making sure I was the one who signed checks. I was the one who entered into leases. Uh, that really, it was a woman who was making these, these decisions. The second part of your question was, how do I believe that will help the business succeed? You know, at this time, honestly, I, I mean, it's, it's exciting for me because I can say I'm now a proven women-owned business, right? So that part in itself is really exciting. But what my hopes are is my hopes that at some point as the industry develops, that there may be some type of, of businesses that start to or even potentially the federal government, right? Requiring some type of contracts and procurements that are a percentage that are women-owned businesses. And so that's really one of my goals was to just set ourselves up for the growing industry. And would you recommend other women in our industry go through this process as well? I would because really at some point as the industry develops, you know, there's large corporations, let's say, that, that have internal requirements of using contracts and procurements um, and using women or minority-owned businesses for a percentage of that. And I think being able to sh prove and say, I truly am a woman-owned business will help with that process. Um, because, I mean, people can make claims and sometimes there's even male-owned businesses who make claims they're women-owned to get those procurement contracts. And so this is a way to really support each other and be able to truly differentiate and say, no, we I am a real women-owned business. That is awesome. I have never heard of this before, but brilliant. Yeah, it's wonderful. And WBNC, the great thing about that organization is the price wasn't too cumbersome. Like we could afford it as a small business. I mean, depending on the size of the small business, someone might need to save their money up a little. But I just think it's a great way to participate in this system of really being able to differentiate in a, in a, in a professional way. So what are you most excited about? And what are you most concerned about from the perspective of owning a lab when it comes to federal legalization? Yeah, so what I'm excited about is, of course, the opportunity for growth. I mean, that that's really, that's just so exciting, right? Um, what I'm worried about is I'm worried about, I'm worried about being pushed out. I'm worried that there's going to be uh, large companies who can come in who are really well-funded and have more capital behind them, and they'll be able to um, undercut 
my my business and undercut me. And I'm also a little worried about the process in which consumer safety will be supported. Um, it's really interesting because I've been watching the hemp CBD industry and kind of tracking what's been happening around public health and safety and testing. And when cannabis testing um, was you know, became incorporated into the cannabis industry, the, the industry was, was nascent and it was so young that it didn't take a lot of money to affect rule. But now with hemp, there's a lot more money there. And I'm concerned that industry is going to choose its bottom line over public health and safety. Interesting. Okay. You mentioned growth. What do you have on track for your growth in the next two years? in the next two years? Well, <laughs> um, I mean, one of the things that we're working on right now that is part of our growth is definitely um, participating in the hemp CBD market. Um, we, we recently got our um, Texas approval to um, test Texas hemp CBD. We're about to roll that program out. So that's really exciting. And we also have rolled out a um, certification program where anybody in the anyone nationally or even internationally can sign up for our certification. And what our certification states is that that batch has been tested by an independent third-party woman-owned lab. And another plan that we have coming up, and that's for 2022, is we're in the works of planning an event to support diversity in the industry. And uh, yeah, and we'll keep you informed on that. We're still in the process of planning it out. So without talking specifics, what is the purpose behind doing an event for inclusion and diversity? Is it inclusion and diversity on your part of the supply chain or the industry as a whole? And if it is the industry as a whole, what is the purpose of that? I think it's about the industry as a whole. And the purpose of it will to be support um, small, women-owned, and minority businesses to really highlight them. Awesome. Well, we will definitely keep an eye out for that, and we will promote that through Women Empowered in Cannabis for sure. Thank you. Okay, so where can women find out more about you and Greenleaf Labs? Well, our website is www.greenleaflabs.com. So definitely visit the website. There's a lot of really good information there on public health and safety testing, on what we offer and do, and a lot of links and resources. Is there anything that you want women to know before we go? Yeah, I do. Um, so for women who want to get into the industry, I would say reach for the stars, but start somewhere small, start somewhere like specific. If you need to get experience, go to school or work for someone else to make sure that you really know what you want and that's part of your strengths. Um, that'll give you time to learn your strengths and areas you need to improve. And it'll also help you understand what type of business you want to work for or what type of business you may want to run, run someday. And don't be ashamed about your weakness. It's so easy for me as a woman to critique myself all the time. And I can critique myself sometimes easier than I can look at all my strengths and everything I offer. And so, um, so look at your weaknesses, but also be able to know your strengths and own those strengths. Um, 
I believe, um, yeah, each of us brings something special to the table. And I, it's just, we have to remind ourselves about that. And lastly, too, I would really recommend, there's a couple points um, that are really important is be heard. I mean, as a woman, your comments and viewpoints may get pushed aside and be prepared and concise with your points. If you're interrupted, interrupt back and compliment someone's expertise and then redirect back to your points. Um, if a colleague claims your insights as their own, speak up and thank him for bringing that point up and then follow up on a couple additional ones that highlight your expertise in the subject. You know, we have to remind ourselves that we're powerful and I believe we need to remember and, and take our power. Um, build your network. I mean, the network, one's network is their, our support system. Uh, they help us find solutions to issues that you'll be faced with. And don't, don't feel like you have to limit your network to your gender, but definitely ensure you have women as part of your network because they'll understand things that men won't, won't necessarily understand. And then when you choose a mentor, make sure they have proven success. I think that really helps because they'll have a lot more um, information and experience to share. And um, build, build up your team with people who want to see you succeed. And then that team also will be people who help accomplish your goals because you really do need help to be able to become successful and, and grow. And then lastly, and this is one that I have to remind myself all the time, I'm sure you do too, but um, practice self-care. I mean, self-care means something different to each of us, but find out what it really means to you and make the time and prioritize it. Habits aren't built, right? So we have to commit to a habit to make it work, but be committed to your self-care with the same passion you give your job. I mean, regardless of what happened that day or the day before, stay committed to your self-care. So for an example, like I'll have a day where, you know, there's like, I've been really stressed out and something came up that was unanticipated and I have the option to be like, okay, am I going to meditate today? Am I going to go to the gym and work out? Am I going to go and have a meeting with someone who gives me like that good support? And I have to remember to not cancel those. And I have to just remember that is part of my daily routine. And, and that is a really um, important recommendation that I'd have. So I would love to just take that section, that response to that question and post that somewhere as the mantra for women in cannabis. That is such phenomenal advice. Thank you so much for sharing that, Roshan. Sure, definitely. <clears throat> thank you for your time and for sharing your journey with us today, Roshan. Ladies, thank you for tuning in. If you haven't yet joined the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, go to our brand new membership portal at womenempoweredincannabis.com. There you'll find lots of information on our new memberships for women working in cannabis. You can also find us on Clubhouse as WEIC, where we host AMA rooms with investors and recruiters and monthly open mics to introduce yourself to the community. WEIC is a community that provides resources, connections, events, and content to women working in cannabis in the U.S., Canada, and around the world where there's an interest in cannabis legalization. We welcome women who are currently working in cannabis or curious about taking a leap into the industry. Consider becoming a supporting member or supporting business for benefits and access across the network. Join us again soon for another conversation with smart women leading in cannabis. And if you enjoy this podcast, join us for a unique virtual leadership summit where we're discussing power and collaboration on July 21st. Tickets are available on Event High. Until then, have a good week. 
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Tune into a major journey podcast today, where guests take listeners on journeys and immerse themselves in the roller coaster ride both in and out of the cannabis space that brought them to where they are today. Throughout our conversations, guests share valuable lessons that they've learned along the way that listeners can use to empower growth both in their personal and professional lives. Check out A Major Journey today on all major podcast platforms.